Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up, a big bank collapses in the United States and a federal agency steps in to protect customers from losing all their money. Billionaire Elon Musk reportedly building a town in Texas for his employees to live in. We get reactions. Another company coming out with a generative AI tool. This time it's to help you write. When will it be available? President Biden's new budget proposal for 2024 includes $6.8 trillion in spending. We speak to a lawmaker on the House Ways and Means Committee. He says the budget would add trillions to the federal deficit. And we speak to a distinguished finance professor about environmental, social and governance, or ESG. We asked why Tesla, an electric vehicle maker, scores lower than a fossil fuel company. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. A major bank in the United States called Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, collapsed this morning after a run on the bank. It's the largest bank failure since the financial crisis. A federal agency, the FDIC, has taken control of the bank to protect customers from losing all their money. The bank lends heavily to tech startups, which have been hit hard by the Fed's rate hikes. The hikes have made riskier tech assets less attractive to investors. The bank's financial health was increasingly in question. Earlier this week, it announced plans to raise up to $1.75 billion to strengthen its capital position. But according to CNBC, the bank failed to raise the capital and was looking to sell itself. One analyst says the bank is in pretty bad shape. They really just got too exposed. And if they just hadn't, if their securities portfolio was positioned a little bit different, so they weren't as long, date, long dated, so the, the bonds hadn't gone down as much, they would be okay. So um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of bad luck for sure, but also um, it definitely shows that you need to you know, be cognizant of, of your securities portfolio. The FDIC seized the bank's assets in the middle of a business day. This is just a sign of how bad the situation was. Customers, including tech CEO Dean Nelson, are worried about being able to access their cash. If you're a startup, cash is king. The cash and the workflow to be able to have runway is critical. And so access to the cash to be able to now pay your employees to actually cover the expenses you've got is the thing that I'm mostly worried about. This is to make sure that we can do that. And so we'll figure out a way to bridge and manage that. It's inconvenient and a risk but I think most companies have got some way and a plan to, to figure that out. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told lawmakers today she's monitoring the situation with the bank and any possible contagion to other banks. You mentioned Silicon Valley Bank. I, there um, are recent developments that concern a few banks that I'm monitoring very carefully. And when banks experience financial losses, it is and should be a matter of concern. The FDIC said the bank will reopen on Monday and all insured depositors will have full access to their insured deposits no later than Monday morning. On Wall Street, stocks closed lower, the Dow posting its worst week since June after today's bank collapse. It fell 345 points, 1.1 percent. S&P lost 57 points or 1.5 percent. Nasdaq lost 199 points or 1.8 percent. Software company Grammarly is coming out with a new writing assistant powered by generative AI. 
Grammarly Go allows users to input prompts to instantly generate high-quality drafts, outlines, replies, and revisions. Individuals can also provide feedback and context on the generated text. Then the tool is able to revise the work based on desired tone or length. The upcoming release of Grammarly Go comes as tech companies compete to create their own generative AI services. OpenAI made waves in the industry late last year with the debut of ChatGPT. The tool can generate articles, essay, poetry, and even jokes. Grammarly Go will be available next month. And Meta is exploring an idea which could create a direct competitor to Twitter. It could set up a standalone decentralized social network to share text updates. A Meta spokesperson said today they believe there is an opportunity for a separate space. They said it would allow creators and public figures to share timely updates about their interests. Now, decentralized platforms are installed on thousands of computer servers. They're largely run by volunteers who join their systems together in a federation. Whereas Facebook, in comparison, and Elon Musk's Twitter are controlled by one authority, Meta's new app would reportedly be Instagram-branded. It would also allow users to register or log in through their Instagram credentials. Elon Musk is reportedly building a city to house workers living in the Austin, Texas area. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Here's NTD's Sean Marshall. Elon Musk is building his own town in the vision of a sort of Texas utopia along the Colorado River, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. A sign in the 3,500-acre area near Austin already says the name of the town, Snailbrook, a reference to the mascot of Musk tunneling firm, The Bourne Company. Bob Bilbrick mentioned a housing development company is building 110 homes and could run into some obstacles building in the area. It's actually rather small, but Austin has a problem with housing uh, currently, and the new mayor, Kirk Watson, really isn't a pro-growth mayor. Already included at the site are homes said to rent for $800 per month, along with pools, outdoor sports areas, and a gym. Musk and top executives want his Austin-area employees at the boring company Tesla and SpaceX to live in the new homes. John Boyd, founder of a corporate site selection company, mentioned it's a great location that also connects to the Gigafactory in Mexico. You know, it, it puts Musk in the company of other iconic industrialists, like John A. Roebling, who built the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge and the Brooklyn Bridge. Roebling built a town uh, just outside of Trenton, New Jersey, called Roebling, New Jersey, for his employees. And Walt Disney, who created a town in central Florida called Celebration for his workers to live. If employees are fired or resign, they would have 30 days to leave the premises. As with anything involving Elon Musk, the town is receiving mixed comments on Twitter, some happy to move there and others predicting it to be a dystopia. In 2021, Musk mentioned building the city of Starbase, Texas and said he planned to live on Mars by 2030. Maybe this new town is a test run. Sean Marshall, NTD News. The U.S. economy added 311,000 jobs in February. This is according to the Labor Department's data released today. It's a drop from January's blockbuster jobs report that brought 504,000 positions. But even so, February's job numbers were higher than economists predicted. The Federal Reserve had been battling for almost a year to slow the economy and to tame the highest inflation in 40 years. But it seems like the labor market continues to defy those efforts. Lawmakers grilled Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen today over President Biden's budget proposal. 
The Treasury Department manages the government's finances and is heavily involved with the president's budget. Biden's budget is highly controversial because it contains massive tax hikes across the economy. The budget focuses heavily on increasing taxes for the wealthy while claiming to help those with lower incomes, like by putting price controls on drugs and by funding Medicare. House Republicans were not happy with Biden's budget proposal. The chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Jason Smith, said the budget would bring Americans more pain. After two years of economic failures, the American people desperately want results. The budget before us today calls for $4.7 trillion in new taxes and $6.9 trillion in new spending during a staggering debt crisis. The American people are struggling. Tax increases from the budget include a 25% minimum tax on anyone with a net worth of over $100 million, as well an increase of the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28%, and an increase on foreign earnings from 10.5% to 21%. And one item Republicans are especially concerned about is raising taxes on single filers who earn more than $400,000 a year. Republican Vern Buchanan, a former businessman himself, believes many small businesses would be hurt by this kind of tax. He told Yellen this would put the American dream at risk. It's obvious to me personally that many of you have never been in business. The idea of another trillion dollars on our small business, medium-sized businesses. The, the, The president pledged not to raise taxes on any individual or small business earning under $400,000. Well, I'm just saying that if someone's got a... There's not a single penny... Let me just finish on this point. If someone's got 100 employees and they make six, seven hundred, the business does, they take out 100, they pay their taxes and they have a few bucks they could help their balance sheet. And that's the reality in the small business world. Just because as a small business you make 600 doesn't mean you take that home. You need that money to grow. The Democrats, on the other hand, were worried about fairness. Democrat John Larson says the wealthy should be required to pay more for government programs. Is it fair that someone who's making 30 or 50 or $75,000 pays in the whole time and someone like Elon Musk stops paying after day one for their Social Security? Isn't this about fairness? I, I think it is about fairness. And um, I think hardworking Americans who have counted on Social Security and paid into it their entire lives and dependent on it as their major source of income in retirement, I think we need to make sure that it's there for them. Biden's budget proposal is likely to be dead on arrival, has very little chance of passing the Republican-controlled House. Republicans are expected to come up with a very different budget later this year. Moving on, a government watchdog is raising the alarm over President Biden's proposed budget. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget says the plan would send the national debt to a record high within just four years. Biden proposed a $6.9 trillion spending in the plan, a 7% increase from the year before. The CFRB projects with Biden's proposal, the national debt would grow to a record high as shares of economy over the next decade. And earlier, I spoke with Congressman Greg Stubbe, who's on the Ways and Means Committee, to get his thoughts on Biden's budget proposal. 
And joining me is Congressman Greg Stubbe. Now, Congressman, I just wanted to get your quick reactions on Biden's proposal yesterday. He says to billionaires, pay your fair share. What are your thoughts? Well, of course, that would be their talking point. Only Democrats could get away with saying by spending more money, we would actually be saving taxpayers money. But this budget would be the largest in the history of the United States as it relates to taxes, spending and deficit. Uh, certainly not the direction we need to go in the current economy and certainly not the direction we need to go in a current inflationary environment. That's where how we got to the level of inflation that we have now was four years of Democrat control in the House and the Senate and the White House and the record amount of spending over that period of time. And on your point, it seems like with the tax hike he's proposing, he's increasingly relying on a very small group of folks to fund trillions of dollars in spending. Is that not so? Well, and small businesses, they would actually raise the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. Uh, that's even higher than the Chinese Communist Party tax rate on corporations at 25%. So the highest level on small businesses and businesses to try to fund all this progressive, woke ideology and spending that they have, uh, which is not the direction that America should be going. And that raises the question of sustainability. You know, can Washington just keep taxing the American people to support its spending? Well, Democrats would think that, but Republicans certainly don't think that's the case. When I got elected a little over four years ago, the deficit was $21 trillion. It now sends it... $31 trillion, so almost $11 trillion in spending uh, just in the last four years, all because the Democrats' control of all the branches of government uh, in the House and the Senate and the White House. So uh, that is not the direction that we need to go for a current economy, for uh, businesses to be successful, for workers to be successful, because you raise taxes on small businesses, what are they going to do? They're going to not be able to hire as many people and do expansions uh, to be able to fund the type of projects that they want to be able to fund. So it actually will end up harming the worker at the end of the day, but the Democrats just don't care about that. And Biden says one of his talking points is that this is to fund Medicare to keep it from running out. He says, at least I have a plan. Your thoughts? Well, he doesn't really have a plan, and he's completely silent on Social Security. How are we going to fund up Social Security to ensure that those that are currently on those programs get the money that they put into that program and that the people that are on Social Security, uh, that program is going to be funded? Uh, right now, it's going to go bankrupt uh, in the next few years, and there's no plan in Biden's budget to address that deficit. So, you know, obviously Biden's proposal won't get far in Congress. Uh, maybe just talk a little bit more about what kind of budget uh, are Republicans looking at? Yeah, so I'm part of the Republican Study Committee. We issued a budget each year. Uh, ours should be coming out in the next month or so. We've got time. The October deadline isn't until several months from now. So starting in April and May, we'll start the budget process, which is typically the time frame for that. Uh, the president's budget just obviously sets the stage for where the administration is at. But you have a House and a Senate it's going to have to decide what that appropriations process is. We're going to attack deficit spending. We're going to cut the budget where we think it's appropriate to cut the budget and ensure that Social Security and Medicare are going to be funded uh, into the future. And just quickly, one last thing. The White House says that this uh, budget proposal will reduce the deficit by $3 trillion. Do you think that's a fair statement? 
No, absolutely not. You can't increase spending and then reduce the amount of deficit spending. That's not, it's just playing a shell game with the money. Uh, again, they've continued to increase the amount of spending. This budget that the, the president issued is a $6.9 trillion budget. We only bring in about $5 trillion a year. So that's exceeding $2 trillion of what we bring in in revenue every single year. So just his budget alone would add $2 trillion a year to the, to the budget and to the deficit. All right, thank you very much, Congressman. Pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me. Visa, MasterCard, and Discover announced they will pause a plan to implement a new merchant category code for the nation's gun retailers. It comes after political pressure from Republican officials. It comes after political pressure from Republican officials. Some financial companies explored the possibility of tracking gun sales through their payment systems in the wake of mass shootings. Advocates argue this would help track suspicious transactions of firearms and ammunition and could help flag potential mass shooters and gun traffickers. Previously, gun store sales were classified under a general merchandise or sporting goods category. Two dozen Republican attorneys general warned the credit card companies that they should not go ahead with their plans. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has introduced a bill aimed at reducing energy costs for American families. It would cut red tape and increase the production and export of energy. The bill runs counter to President Biden's energy policy, under which the cost of energy soared in the past year. Scalise said families are now paying over 40 percent more for gas since January 2021. According to the National Energy Assistance Directors Association, home heating prices are at their highest in 10 years, and 1.3 million more American families got on energy assistance this winter. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has sent a resolution regarding ESG to President Biden's desk. The resolution opposes a Labor Department rule which would allow retirement plan managers to consider ESG factors when investing. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. McCarthy argues the rule would mean lower returns for retirement plans. And earlier I spoke with distinguished NYU professor Aswath Damodaran on ESG. Damodaran has written several widely used academic texts in the business world. Joining me now is Aswath Damodaran. He's the professor of finance at NYU Stern School of Business. Now, let's start from the basics, professor. In your view... What does an ESG score actually measure? You should, you're asking the wrong person because I'm not the person measuring it. And if you ask them, I think you're going to cut to the core of the problem. They're not sure. They're not sure in the sense that if you check across different services, they all seem to be measuring different things. And if you look across time, they at different points in time claim to have measured different things. I mean, if you go back in history and you look at the original UN document that gave rise to ESG in the immediate aftermath, the people pushing and measuring ESG claimed it measured goodness, virtue, now how well you were behaving. Somewhere along the way, that sales bit changed and it became ESG became was pushed as something that would make companies more valuable. You could earn as an investor, you could earn more than the market. Then about uh, three years ago, when that bit stopped working, they said ESG is really a measure of risk. It's really not nothing to do with virtue. It's nothing to do with goodness. And part of the reason is, there, as each pitch failed, they kept shifting the goalpost. I'll be quite honest. I think that reflects part of the problem here, is ESG is built on quicksand. The services and advocates of ESG have no idea what they're measuring, and they keep changing their mind. What are your views on a company that scores better on ESG and giving it a higher valuation? 
I can't give a company a higher valuation. It's got to earn it, right? Value doesn't come from what I think about the company. It comes from the company's capacity to generate cash flows, to grow those cash flows and its risk. And this is the show me part of ESG. So I remember Larry Fink at the peak of ESG's glory, getting up there and saying, ESG is good for value. And my reaction is you're either lying, Larry, or you have no idea what value is. Because if you believe that ESG is good for value, show me where. Is it in the cash flows? Is it in the growth? Is it in the risk? And collectively, if you look at the evidence in ESG, there's absolutely no evidence that indicates that ESG shows off in any of those numbers. And if it doesn't, it's not affecting value. Here's the problem. ESG was sold on a false promise. It was sold as, hey, you can be good and you can make money. It was sold on a lie. If you want to be good, you got to sacrifice something. I mean, remember, there were funds pre-ESG. The Anna Domini Fund used to be a Catholic fund, which basically invested based on Catholic principles. And you know what? Good for them. But they were honest. They told people, look, you know, if you want to invest, if you want to invest, you're a Catholic, you want to invest based on Catholic principles, we're here. But they were open about the fact that by restricting themselves to only companies that met their criteria, they were going to have to give up returns. That's an honest pitch. And the way they sold it was, you're going to earn lower returns in this universe, but you'll get heaven afterwards. That's a promise I can go with. And the problem with ESG is not that there are ESG funds. I don't have a problem with ESG funds themselves. I have a problem with the fact that um, that it's that it's, it was at least for a period. It's no longer, I think, as, as strongly pushed. It was pushed on people who had no choice. People were made to invest in ESG funds, and they had no control of the process. That's not right. And what do you think the impact will be ESG on society? None. In fact, it's going to be to make society worse off. You know how much of our energy came from fossil fuels in 2012 before ESG took off? About 82%. You know what percentage of our energy came from fossil fuels in 2022 after 10 years of ESG wins? 82%. So where's the win? What's happening? Why isn't it going down? Because what we've done is we've taken fossil fuel production and pushed it in the hands of private equity investors. That's exactly what's going to happen when you put selective pressure on publicly traded companies and make them give up on things that you claim are bad. They don't go away. This is moved into different hands, and you're going to have no control in how they develop. So my view is ESG is going to make society worse off. It's going to make pe some people richer, but society overall is not going to be one of the beneficiaries because it's going to mean we're not going to act on our problems because we're assuming that they're being dealt with already. And those were some highlights from my interview with Professor Demodoran. To watch the full interview, head on over to NTD.com. We also talk about how Tesla, an electric vehicle maker, has a lower ESG score than fossil fuel company ExxonMobil. But taking a break now, if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. Still to come, electric boat startups manufacture vessels that will serve as water taxis in big cities. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. 
Startups all over the world are manufacturing electric boats that will serve as water taxis in big cities. But they'll have to compete in an already saturated marketplace. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Swedish company Candela and California-based Navier make electric hydrofoil speedboats. A fin lifts the hull above the water's surface at higher speeds. The result is a smoother and quieter ride. Not only it's electric, you're gliding above the water, so there is no seasickness. It's just a smooth, like, smooth ride quality. You don't feel the waves. It's like you're on a jet plane. The Navier 30 can travel about 75 nautical miles on a single charge. The vessels can also be outfitted with a cabin. The big challenge with electric boat is range. And what hydrofoil does is that it gets rid of the hydrodynamic drag and it flies above water, so it increases the range like two to three times a traditional electric boat. Candela's C8 electric-powered hydrofoil speedboat can cruise for over two hours at 20 miles per hour. The watercraft can travel almost 60 nautical miles on a single charge. With the foiling uh, and the smart computer and the software that we developed, we can have a boat that is disconnected from the water so it's much more efficient. And this way you can have a small battery that you can recharge overnight and then you can, you can actually uh, have a decent day uh, out on the water. Candela says the same technology will be used to power a 30-passenger catamaran prototype. The ferry could operate in Sweden by summer. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all from the NTD business team today and myself, Don Ma. Thank you for watching and we'll see you on Monday.